Hey, Southlake listeners, it's Mike Hicksonball. You're about to hear a clip from the first episode of our new podcast, Grapevine. Two years after Antonia Hilton and I told you about the political revolt in Southlake, the conservative Christian campaign to take control of local school boards has been spreading, including to Grapevine, the town next door. If you followed our reporting in Southlake, think of this new series as a sequel. To hear the first two episodes right now, search for Grapevine wherever you're listening and make sure to follow the podcast. We're going to call the special meeting for August 22nd, 2022 uh, to order. Um, It's the start of another school board meeting in Grapevine, Texas. Historically, monthly meetings in this small, wood-paneled boardroom have been low-attendance, sleepy affairs. But tonight, residents are packed shoulder to shoulder as district staff open the proceedings. We will start with public comment. Next on the agenda, can y'all hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? We're going to need this microphone tonight. (laughs) They're going to need that microphone because nearly 200 people have signed up to comment on the school board majority's new plan for fighting what some of their supporters have been calling woke gender ideology. Can you hear me? After a moment of silence and both the U.S. and Texas pledges, the board president tells everybody to behave. The presiding officer may request assistance from law enforcement officials to have the individual removed from the meeting. Things start out cordial. These ideologies don't belong in the classroom or the library. Why does it matter what pronouns a person uses? But eventually, the gloves come off. There's only two genders. Guess what? Teachers shouldn't be forced to use your freaking made-up fantasy pronouns. Our 111th speaker You do not embrace Christ's teachings. You do not embrace Christ's teachings. If you've been paying attention to the news, you've probably gotten used to scenes like this one. That's because something was awakened in America a few years ago. The primal anger, fear, and distrust that long defined national politics seeped all the way down to public school classrooms. On this night in August 2022, dueling groups of parents, students, and activists have come to demand that the Grapevine Colleyville Independent School District, or GCISD, protect their children. The biggest job is to protect the kids. But no surprise, the two sides have vastly different ideas about what protect the kids really means. Protect your queer students. Protect our children from being indoctrinated. Protect our children. Protect us. Stop hurting kids with these politics. We started covering the beginnings of this story nearly three years ago, when conservative parents in the town of South Lake, Texas, revolted against a plan that was also meant to protect kids from racial harassment in that case. In our series, South Lake, we documented how that fight started to evolve into a campaign to roll back LGBTQ acceptance in schools, and then watched it spread to every corner of the country, including here to Grapevine the fast-diversifying Dallas suburb right next door. You guys are responsible for a kid's future, and you're robbing them of that. Some of the grapevine parents who were up in arms about critical race theory a year earlier are now just as vocal against policies and library books meant to make transgender kids feel welcome at school. Anyway, I'm happy to say that CRT is no longer a policy here. Parents' rights. If there's a book 
that's it's controversial put it in another section and have parent consent it just makes sense it's parents rights we all we all want that parents rights parent consent these are major buzzwords in the new anti-lgbtq culture war but for one mom in the audience they're not merely an abstraction. My name is Sharla, and I live in GCISD. About four hours into the meeting, a woman with short blonde hair and wire-framed glasses steps to the microphone. She has a warning for the other parents. The doctrine of gender fluidity brings disorder, chaos, anarchy, and confusion into our schools and classrooms. A younger teaching generation is pushing and has been pushing that our kids can be any gender they want to be. This is biologically incorrect. Young teachers pushing their dangerous ideas on vulnerable kids, including, Sharla says, her own. She tries to tell the story in the 60 seconds she's been allotted. Certain staff were labeling him, feeding him incorrect information, especially about his unaccepting mom. They gave him and other students unsolicited harmful information from their personal libraries. In doing so, they exploited my son's gender dysphoria. Instead of the adult influences bringing my son's issues to me, the parent, they told him I rejected him because he wanted to be female. This was so far from the truth. I lost my son. Thank you. I lost my son, Sharla starts to say. And then her time is up. The story Sharla told at this meeting got our attention because it's exactly the nightmare that Republican politicians have been warning about. Teachers going rogue, poisoning the minds of confused kids and convincing them that they should change genders. There's never been evidence to back up those claims, but here was a mom saying publicly that it happened to her kid. When we heard her make that allegation, whether it was true or not, we knew something significant had happened in Grapevine. So we started looking into it. What we found was a different story of a transgender child desperately wanting to be heard, a mother determined to honor her religion, and an English teacher caught in the middle. And we discovered something else. This wasn't just a story about one broken family. It was a story about a fringe Christian movement wielding newfound power and the revival of a long-simmering quest to remake American education in God's image. From the NBC News team that brought you Southlake, I'm Mike Hicksonbaugh. I'm Antonia Hilton. And this is Grapevine. Episode 1, The Girl and the English Teacher. Six a.m. on a school day, Grapevine High School's most beloved and most despised English teacher is rushing to get ready. It's now April 2023. Temperatures in North Texas are starting to climb. Blue bonnets are in bloom, and the school year, the longest, hardest year of M. Ramser's life, is winding down. She used to love her job, but these days she's just trying to survive it. To be there like ever so slightly early. After brewing coffee and packing her lunch, I make the lunch, but then I'll see if I actually get the chance to eat the lunch. She gets on the road. There was a time not so long ago that Ramser looked forward to heading to school in the morning, 
Back then, her English classroom was filled with books. Her walls were covered with colorful posters. And every day, she tried challenging her students to view literature and the world from a perspective different than their own. I used to really like the drive in and out of work. Nowadays, it just makes me sad more than anything. And there are times I'm surprised that I haven't like had a complete and utter breakdown. <laughs> At 27, Ramser is part of a generation of young educators whose entire careers have been shaped and disrupted by national politics. Older teachers tell her it didn't used to be this way. Parents didn't used to bombard them with angry emails about classroom library books. Administrators didn't used to review teachers' lesson plans and reflexively censor any assignments that might draw a complaint. Lately, it's been a struggle to remember why she ever got into teaching. When she was in college in North Carolina, what Ramser wanted more than anything was to be a writer and a poet. I used to swear up, down, and sideways that I would never, ever be a teacher. Then one year, in 2015, she took a summer job at a special program with Duke University, teaching English to high school students. The program took her to Texas, where she got to help lead a creative writing course. It was the first time she saw the power of writing to help kids understand themselves and the world around them. One afternoon during her second summer with the program, the students hosted a poetry slam, and some of them read their own writing. One girl seemed emotional as she walked to the front of the room holding her paper. And soon, Ramser understood why. The teen used the poem to tell her classmates she was gay and afraid of what that might mean for her life. Afterward, the student darted out of the room crying. Ramser, 20 at the time, followed. I went and I talked to her. I'm like, hey, it's, it's okay. Like, it's okay to be scared, but you also don't have to be scared because... There is a world out there where you can be okay. Like, my mom's gay. Like, I have a girlfriend. It, it's okay. And that was the first time I'd ever told a student anything about, like, my personal life or my mom's life because that was also a scary thing for me. But, like, it seemed like the kid needed to hear at that point that their only option wasn't just to be sad and die because that's what they said in their poem was, like, Every story they'd ever heard was of a gay person being sad or alone or dying. And um, so they needed to see that. It was possible to be an adult and be happy. At the end of that summer, the student handed Ramser a note that she's kept ever since. Dear Emily, I'd like to begin this letter by saying how happy I was when you talked to me after I read my slam poem. Until now, I'd never had a queer role model to look up to. But knowing that you're almost out of college and you have a writing career, that all is well underway, it gave me a lot of hope. Your poems deserve to touch everyone's life just like you touched mine. Thank you for being the role model I always needed in life. It meant the world to me. Reading that letter made Ramser think back on her own high school years, growing up in North Carolina as a queer student in a state that had recently passed a constitutional ban on same-sex marriage. She never had an openly queer teacher. When a high school classmate shoved her to the ground and called her a slur because she had a rainbow ribbon on her backpack, she didn't have a trusted adult to turn to on campus. The student's note helped her discover her true calling. I think that was the point where I knew that I wanted to become a teacher. And there was like 
so many pieces with that of a like being somebody who could be there for a student and be that visible representation, but also seeing like how much it mattered to have a class where the content gave you some kind of hope for what you were doing or gave you an outlet or like where you actually cared about what you were learning and found a way to make it applicable to your life. And ever since then, I just fell in love with it. The teen's letter helped put Ramser on a path toward becoming a teacher. But something else was happening that year in 2016 that would end up shaping America's political trajectory and her future career in education in ways she could not imagine. For decades, evangelical Christians in America have felt like a persecuted minority whose power was waning. School prayer went away. Happy holidays became a standard Christmas time greeting. And in 2015, the Supreme Court made gay marriage the law of the land. There was a sense that American society was drifting towards something they didn't recognize and didn't want any part of. Secular, politically correct, godless. And then, an unlikely messenger came along with a different vision. Early on in the 2016 presidential election, then-candidate Donald Trump gave a speech at a private Christian college in Iowa that quietly foreshadowed the political battles now raging through America's public schools. Sit down, everybody. Come on. We have plenty of time. This was the speech when Trump, still seen by many at the time as a long shot for the Republican nomination, famously bragged, They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. But there was another, more significant message in his remarks that day. One that didn't make as many splashy headlines. I will tell you, Christianity is under siege, whether we want to talk about it or we don't want to talk about it. There's nothing the politicians can do to you if you band together. You have too much power. But the Christians don't use their power. They don't need your, they don't use your power. I get elected president, we're going to be saying Merry Christmas again. Just remember that. And by the way, Christianity will have power because if I'm there, you're going to have plenty of power. You don't need anybody else. You're going to have somebody representing you very, very well. Remember, Christianity will have power. Most folks might not have been paying close attention when Trump uttered that line in early 2016. But his evangelical base heard him clearly. A twice-divorced billionaire who bragged about the ease with which he groped women may have seemed a surprising figure to shepherd a resurgence of America's religious right. But some Christians were emboldened by Trump's blunt commentary about America's moral decline and inspired by his willingness to wage cultural wars against their perceived enemies. And as president, Trump would keep up his end of the bargain, appointing Christian conservatives to the Supreme Court, and inviting fundamentalist leaders directly into his inner circle. In the process, he breathed new life into an evangelical movement, seeking to return this country to its Christian roots by doing just what Trump said, taking power and imposing biblical values in public life. And they weren't going to fight this crusade only in Washington or at the state legislatures. They were going to attack the problem at the local level, in the place that they'd identified as the very foundation of America's moral downturn, inside its public schools. As a college senior, 
M. Ramser wasn't thinking much about how Donald Trump's rise to power and the forces it would unleash might shape her future in education. She was full of hope, feeling inspired by the prospect of making a career out of helping kids. It was that same year, in 2016, when Ramser learned from a mentor about a unique program for highly gifted students at a school district in North Texas, the Aspire Academy at the Grapevine Colleyville Independent School District was the only program like it in the state. It provided special advanced placement courses and a custom curriculum in grades 1st through 12th. It was kind of one of those programs that's like on the forefront of changing education and doing all of the things right. After graduating, Ramser rearranged her life to maximize her chances of getting hired at the program. She moved to Texas, enrolled in an education master's program, and made it her mission to get to Grapevine. Like, that was my long-term goal. I thought, like, to get enough experience, be a good enough teacher, it would take me, like, 10 years to get in there. I did everything I could to, like, do the extra professional development, teach more, et cetera, just as much as I could do to become the kind of teacher that they would want. Ramser ended up landing the job at Aspire much sooner than she imagined in the summer of 2020, just three years after moving to Texas. And then I got in there and I did really, really good work for them. I had three students who got published in a book with the New York Times uh, from work that they produced in my class. I had kids winning national writing awards. Um, It's funny, I had a a student describe me as the teacher who you kind of hate the whole time you're in the class, but then once you leave, you realize how much you learned and how much you did, and you love them. That student wasn't the only one saying it. Throughout our reporting in Grapevine, we've talked to a dozen teens and some parents who told us Ramser has been their favorite teacher from all of their years at GCISD. She's the type of teacher who shows up at student theater performances and weekend dance recitals to cheer from the audience. After some of her students found out she has a thing for dinosaurs, they started buying her dinosaur stuffies, and soon they filled her room with them. Her first year at the district, though, was an adjustment. Grapevine was more conservative than she'd imagined. The town is located at the end of a runway at the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. The roar of jet engines is part of the soundtrack of life here. Like Southlake, Grapevine's more elite neighbor to the West, airline execs and other white-collar workers have flocked to the city, hoping to get their kids a top-notch education. Here, like lots of Texas towns, religion and community go hand-in-hand. Ramster didn't have a good answer when folks asked, as part of the standard Grapevine welcome, have you found a church? Her hair, partially buzzed at the time, and her signature colorful pants— made her stand out among the other teachers. If we're blatantly honest, I looked like a gay person in a school where nobody else looked like a gay person. (laughs) Plus, she started in the middle of the pandemic. Half of her kids were remote, the other half in person. And a lot of them were struggling. One freshman in particular didn't seem very eager to be there. In some ways, reminded me a lot of myself when I was in high school initially, just because like I was the sad, kind of quiet kid at times who I'm like, please don't talk to me. I want to work on my art or go like play a video game, and I do not want to talk to an adult. And that's the sense that I got. Just let me sit back here; I'll be fine. Um, and those are always the kids I pay more attention to at times because you're always a little bit worried. There was one other thing that landed Wren on Ramser's radar. At the start of the year, Ramser asked all of her kids to fill out a form, telling her a little bit about themselves. 
That included what names and pronouns they wanted to use in class. This student, listed as a boy in district records, asked to be called by female pronouns and by an alternative name, Ren. M. Ramser was happy to accommodate the teenager's request, but she had no idea what this shy, cerebral student was going through at home, or that Ren's mother, Sharla, would end up setting off a cascade of events that would lead Ramser to question her career choices and, ultimately, her future in Grapevine. For more of this story, go to the link in the description of this clip or search for Grapevine and follow the podcast. Te presentamos a la familia Rubio. Ellos hacen todo en familia. Rompecabezas, viajes a Walmart, ejercicios, cocinamos, todo. Y cuando supieron que la farmacia de Walmart tiene vacunas para todas las edades, desde HPV hasta neumonía, pues nos fuimos en familia a vacunarnos. Y de una vez hicimos nuestras compras. Like, obvio, Abu. <risas> Protege a tu familia con vacunas para todos. Haz una cita hoy con los farmacéuticos expertos de Walmart Pharmacy. Bienvenido a una farmacia más simple. Bienvenido a tu Walmart. Sujetas a disponibilidad y ley estatal aplicable. Se aplican restricciones según la edad. Pregúntale a tu farmacéutico por detalles.